Hey, Ma. <laughs> hey, Jericho. What's up? <laughs> oh, you know, just knocking around my notebook. Yep. Yep. Making all <laughs> kinds of weird sounds. Sorry. Hey, guys. How are you? Not really talking to anybody but you, so hey, Mom. Oh, hey. What's <laughs> up? Yeah. <laughs> I took a pause for a moment. Yeah. That's trying to right. figure out how, how I was, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, it is episode two of Still Missing Morgan from Hulu. The episode is called For How Long? Yes. You know, it does beg the question, how long do you look? For how long do you continue your searches? And how we, long do you hold out hope? Yeah, absolutely. And we learn from these incredibly strong women uh, forever. Yeah. Until you have your answers. Yeah. That's how long. But guys, as you can hear, my mom is back with us today. Hello. <laughs> Sue again. Or mom. It's good. Oh, for sure. Or you yeah. can call her Mama Sue. That's what we did in school. Yeah. Yeah. I did get called that quite a few times. By yeah. quite a few people. I was about to say about 100. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So the episode starts out with Morgan's birthday. Right. We're watching home videos of her getting a little puppy. Yeah. Yeah. And she's so sweet. Everybody, she is. She just broke my heart. She was just so sweet, and she's such a beautiful child. So beautiful. Yeah, and she's just, she's in awe of this puppy. I mean, she's, she. I think she's like in disbelief that this is her puppy. This is her happy birthday gift. Well, she's in bed, so she probably just woke up to yeah, a puppy yeah. in her lap. <laughs> yeah, she did. Well, remember, they wanted her to hold her eyes closed tight so yes. they could put the puppy in her lap and then open her eyes and get her happy birthday gift. And she's just looking at this puppy. And the part that just, I mean, ugh, just really got me was she looked at her mama and she says, Mama, he's shaking. I know. I broke know. me too. Yeah. I just wanted to cry. And Colleen said, I know. He's scared. Yeah. He doesn't know you. Yeah. And she just looks at him and she gives him the biggest hug. And I don't know. It was just so sweet. I just cried. I was like, oh. It was a good way to start the episode with the tearjerker. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to rewind it and watch it again. And I did. <laughs> and I still teared up. So, you know, it was just the sweetest thing. And she's such a beautiful child and just so, so sweet. She has the sweetest little voice on her. And uh, that's how this episode opens up, like Jerrica said, with the tearjerker. And we uh, all love those. Right in the gut. Yeah. So we are also having coffee with Colleen and Patty. Correct. And it's Patty Wetterling. Yes. And... um. Colleen and Patty are discussing how they met each other. And right after Morgan was abducted, she read this magazine article like a day or two after Morgan was taken. And it was an article uh, about Patty's foundation. And we come to learn that Patty also has an abducted child, and his name is Jacob. Right. And they go through 
saying things like, Patty didn't know anything about Morgan, and Colleen didn't know anything about Jacob, and they only figured all this out when Colleen had found this article and had called the number. That was listed. It was like 2 or 3 in the morning, and she's calling like, hey, I'm just going to leave this voicemail because it's super early and super late, and I can't believe I'm doing this, but I also have a missing child. Right. And then... The executive director calls her back the next day and is like, hey, what's going on? And Colleen's very insistent that she speak with Patty. She's like, I really need to speak with her. And then the next day, Patty called her. Correct. And they've they've been friends ever since. You stole the sentence out of my mouth. Oh, I just ripped that right out of there, didn't I? But yeah, they've been friends ever since. Yeah. And she said it uh, it was good that they had each other to rely on because... You know, when a child is abducted, they don't have that kind of support. You know, like... There's no neighborhood. There's no community for it. No. And you don't know how to relate to that unless you yourself are going through it. No matter if you have a million differences, that one commonality between you makes you closer than anyone in the world. Correct. And it also helps you. They would bounce off ideas from each other and... The whole thing Patty kept saying was, you know, people just didn't get it. Right. You know, like someone asked her, well, for how long? How long do you look? Well, she said, you just don't get it. You're not, you're not that person. You, you haven't been missing a child. You don't understand the question you're given. Colleen was saying that families of missing children are often isolated because there's just not that neighborhood of people and you can't know how you're going to react or how you're going to behave unless this has happened to you. Right. And Patty was saying people would tell her, oh, if I was you, I would just be angry. I would be beating down doors. Or if this happened to me, I would do this. I would do that. No, you don't know what you would do because it isn't you. Right. Thankfully, you have not been in those shoes. I can't tell you what I would do. And I pray to God I never have to find out. Right. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, my children are all adults. But now I have grandchildren that I have to be concerned with. And, you know, even, well, even when, you know, your children are adults too, you still have to worry about someone abducting them, you know, I mean, in all truth, I just now, yeah, I just now realized that, you know, it's not a matter of a child. It's a matter of whether it is your child, you know, whether they're an adult or they're a teenager or they're little like Morgan was, you know. And Patty also goes on to say that time had become irrelevant to her. You get a car loan. Car loans for five years. I mean, you think that's a long time. You pay time. on your house for 30 years. Right. And you think that's a long time. And, it, and it's like when you're missing a child, when your child is abducted, that time is irrelevant. Right. She was saying that she was confused by the time because there is no parameter on how long you search, there's no ending in sight. It's just go, go, go until you bring that child home. Right. And they said, you know, 
kids are basically found because people don't forget and they keep the case alive. Yeah. And that's, that's the key ingredient yeah. is keeping them alive and keeping the case alive. Right. And I was glad that Hulu did this documentary and I'm glad we're doing a podcast over it, you know, because to me that is us trying to help keep that out there keep that alive where, you know, these children can be found. Right. I share every single time that my phone gets an alert of a missing child, uh, an Amber alert, of course, I screenshot it. I post it to my Facebook. I post it to my Twitter feed and I post it to my Instagram and I say, share, 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 share. And I don't care if it's in our area or halfway across Oklahoma, halfway across Arkansas. If I'm getting that alert, I am sharing it because my thousands of friends and followers from between all the platforms, they're going to see that whether they share it or not, that's on their conscience, but I'm putting it out there. I will share, I follow Oklahoma Highway Patrol and they always post on their Twitter and I share from there and I'm on Oklahoma missing children uh, and adults and I share on there as well. It's just what, what more can I do besides putting myself out there physically in to the search. try and find, yes. Yeah. Well, that is you doing a, a major part in my word. I mean, what if we would have had this back when Morgan and Jacob went missing? I mean, you know, the Amber Alert. And we said this in episode one, you know, the fact that these two have started foundations and stuff. They have also laid foundations on how things need to proceed when a child is taken, you know, whether by their own parent that's not supposed to have them or a stranger. Yeah. 92% of the time, it's a relative. That has taken them. Yeah. Yeah. We hear more from Patty about Jacob, about Jacob's story and his abduction. He was 11 when he was abducted. Right. He had stayed at home with his friend Aaron, and they were watching his little brother Trevor, who was 10. Right. And he, and Aaron was also 11. They yes. were um, sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patty goes on to say that Jacob was almost 12. Um and this happened uh, October 22nd, 1989. Yes. And uh, that's a special day for us. It's my daughter's birthday. Yeah. Uh, kind of sad. But uh, we, we don't like those coincidences. But, you know, sometimes in life it kind of throws it out at you. So It'll come back around later. Yeah. Anyway, Patty has this uh, meeting her and her husband go to and... They've asked Jacob if he would sit and watch his little brother because their older daughter was at a friend's house. And, of course, you know, she assumed, you know, he's 11, almost 12 years old. It it should be fine. They were going to be gone, you know, a short amount of time. And as soon as they got to the friend's house, they called home so that the kids had the phone number. Right. Of which they used, they used it. They called back and said, hey, we're bored. We want to ride our bike down to the movie store. Yeah, and she's like, well, find something to do around there, you know. And and Trevor's like, let me talk to my dad. Yeah, put dad (laughs) on the phone. Like, you know, okay, we're going to bypass mom there. We're going to stick dad on the phone. Well, 
He, he says since it was three of them, it'd be okay. The store was like a mile from the home. And the only thing they really was concerned about was traffic. It was dark out and there's traffic. Well, it was getting dark, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was traffic. And that's what she was worried about because it was like a country road. And, uh, you know, they were, you know, worried about the traffic getting to them. But, you know, he said... Uh, what was it? One of them was wearing, uh, one of them had a flashlight. One was wearing, uh, Jacob was actually wearing his father's jogging vest. Yeah, safety vest yeah, with reflectors. Sa- yeah, and then Aaron had on a white sweatshirt, and they were like, they just wanted to go to the store and rent a movie. So One of us has the flashlight, the other one's on a scooter, the other one's on a bicycle. We're good. Yeah, so they agree um, to let them go, and... Um, Anyway, so the boys go to the store, and uh, they rent a movie. Naked Gun. Yeah. Yeah. She said, Patty said she found that ironic that, you know, they rented the movie Naked Gun. And um, they got some little snick snacks, you know. and Who can watch a movie without the snacks? Well, I know. <laughs> right? And then they headed back, and... Um, what was it? They got almost, they were halfway to the house, wasn't it? They were nearly home. They were within a half mile. Actually, it was more like two or three blocks from the house. Yeah. When and, uh, they come up on this man standing in the middle of the road. And he had, had a, gun. a gun. Right. And, you know, because they had a flashlight and all three of the boys saw the gun. Yeah. And the man told them to turn the flashlight off and to go lay in a ditch. And ditch the bike. Yeah. The boys are sitting there thinking, man, this is just a really bad joke. That's what you Trevor know? kept saying was, yeah. this is just a sick joke. This is a joke. This is yeah. not happening. Right. And the guy asked them, you know, turn around, tell me your ages. And you've got 11, 11 and 10. He looked at Trevor and said, mm-hmm. all right. Run through the woods. Yeah. Trevor picked up and ran through the woods. And same thing happened between Aaron and Jacob. And he let Aaron go. Said same thing. Turn around. Run through the woods. And Aaron met up with Trevor. Trevor. They realized that Jacob was gone. Yeah. They turned around once they felt they were safe. Because the man told them to run or he'd shoot them. Yes. And they did. They both ran. Aaron said that he had his arm on Jacob's shoulder as he told him to run, Aaron. And he said once he caught up with Trevor and they felt safe, they turned around and there was nothing. Yeah. I mean, nobody was there. They never saw or heard a car. Nothing. He was just gone. Yeah. Just, um, so. So after they realized that Jacob was gone, they ran home to the neighbor's house who was babysitting and said, Jacob's gone. Yeah, and called the police. Yeah, and that was a little after 9 o'clock that night. Right, so they had a uh, a huge search, same as they did with Morgan. They didn't find anything. And they, they told Patty to prepare for the worst case scenario. Right, right. Then they go back to Colleen. A reporter had the audacity. And I'm telling you, guys, I watch what I say, but that's a bitch move. 
Yeah. To, you know, the reporter asked her, what if Morgan doesn't come home? And when I heard that, it was like... Did you get taken aback? Yeah. I was like, who asks that? Why, yeah, it's like, why don't you just go slap the woman in the face while you're standing there? No joke. I, I mean, in all seriousness. I was offended and hurt for her. Right. And she's the one telling the story. And she's like... What do you mean, what if Morgan never comes home? Because the thought had never, never crossed her mind. Yeah. She said it had never entered her mind that her child would never come home. Even to this day, she says that she does not give energy to, to that. that thought. Right. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just couldn't believe that someone would do that. I know. That, that is, takes some gall. Yeah, I mean, it's a grieving mother who is longing for her child. Her child is still missing, and you want to go and ask her, well, what if Morgan doesn't come home? I mean, come on. You don't live your life. Yeah, you don't live your life with the what ifs. You live your life with this is what's going to be, you know. And Colleen had already made that choice that Morgan was worth fighting for. And until her last breath, she will fight for that child. Yeah, absolutely. So the next thing we hear is Patty, you know, in response to what Colleen is saying about the reporter, saying that you do not understand what it is like to have a missing child unless you are a parent of a missing child. And in her lifetime, the very first person or persons, I should say, that understood where she was in her life was a group of veterans who were letting out black balloons for the missing in action. Correct. And they let out one white balloon for Jacob. Yeah. And said, because he is missing in action too. And she said, oh, they get it. Finally, someone Someone gets gets it. it. Yeah, because she was like, throughout all that, nobody got it. And then... These veterans do that. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you get it. You totally get it. And it gave me chills. So my father is a veteran, and I have, um, well, he has an uncle. So it's my great uncle that is still overseas in uh, France. He was killed in France. So he his remains were never shipped back home. And they did finally find him. And he he is buried over there. So for a while, he was missing in action. But I think before uh, all the siblings passed, I know that his parents had already passed. My dad always talked about, you know, having his, remembering he was young and he remembered that his uncle was missing in action. And he knew that, you know, he, he was over there fighting in World War One. Yeah, that sounded right. I was, I was like, wait a minute. We, we've we had a family member in every war, so I have to think about that sometimes. Yeah, Paul was World War II. Right? Yes, okay. Paul was yeah. World War II. Yeah, anyway. And naval gunnersman. Yeah. So, missing in action, when she said that, it just made my heart, you know, so light and happy, you know, when she said that the veterans did that and released a balloon for Jacob, you know, saying that, 
he's just missing an action. And I was happy that someone actually made her happy. Yes. For, you know, just a few minutes. It really tugged at my heartstrings. Yeah. We go back to Chief Pointer. And Chief Pointer is with a family. He's called a family meeting. And, um, you know, we're back to that. And he's talking about there are going to be names that are brought up. And he really doesn't want to give any of those names any credence. Right. Um, you know, any do whatever. But he does land on um, Charlie Vines. Charles Ray Vines. Yeah. Well, he lived in uh, Syria. Syria. Uh, at the time, and he was working the area during Morgan's abduction, during the time that Morgan was abducted. By working the area, he was active in abuse, sexual abuse, rape, and murder. Correct. Correct. And his victims ranged from age 14 to 93. Yes. Yes, which, it, okay, listen, the man is sick, but I mean... In all seriousness, 14 to 93. What what would someone see in a 14-year-old and see the same thing in a 93-year-old? He wasn't found to be guilty for that until 1999 when he was arrested. They went back because the girl that he tried to abduct and he was caught trying to abduct her, they got DNA from him and his DNA matched several rapes and murders. That's how he was caught because of that. Well, they decided that they were going to ask him questions about some of the other missing persons. And, you know, they really did a broad span of the area and people that were missing from that area. In the 1980s and 1990s. Correct. They did a widespread just in those basic locations or, you know, in a general vicinity. Right. They got his addresses from where he had lived and where relatives had lived, where he would go, and they mapped out. I thought that was incredible. Oh, the yeah. mapping. Yeah. They mapped out on green pegs where he lived and the relatives lived, and then red pegs were his known victims. And they had looked at areas where kids had gone missing and where other crimes had occurred. Right. In order for him not to get that sentence, that death sentence, um, if he would tell the truth yeah, about all these other crimes that was happening, then they would stay his execution. That's what it was. He was up to, they were going to execute him. But I don't remember what the execution was. And you know what? It's irrelevant because he's a piece of crap. Yeah. Garbage. Trash. Total trash. Okay, and even though he is trash, I don't want to give him another second of... Anything. Notoriety. Correct. But I will, however, take a moment and shed light on some of his victims and send our best to their families and to them. His first victim was Lily Jones. And on the night of April 10th, 1993, he kicked his way through the door of her home savagely beat and raped her. She was 89 years old. And then two months later on June 23rd, Juanita Wolford was 58 and she was found murdered in her bed. Her. Nice piece of work there. Again, he's trash. No, he's worse than trash. Yeah, absolutely. On August 10th, 1995, 
74-year-old Ruth Henderson was also brutally assaulted and killed, very similar to the manner of Juanita Wolford. And then in March of 2000, the parents of a 16-year-old girl came home to find her being raped and stabbed by vines. He was caught by a family friend and police were able to use his DNA to connect him to earlier attacks. And he is suspected of four additional rapes and murders. Which is what they went to jail to ask him questions about that. Right. They interviewed him in jail because he had admitted to another inmate of kidnapping and murdering Morgan Nick. Right. And he said that the best way to conceal a body is under rocks and cement. Yes. And they had asked him about a few others that had went missing, but they didn't get any information on as to whether he did that or not. And they wanted to go and interview him again, but then they found out that they couldn't because he had contracted cancer. And at that point, he really didn't have very long to live. And he was in a coma. Yes, and he didn't have very long to live. And I'm really not this person. I really don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. He didn't deserve to die in a coma. An eye for an eye, that kind of thing. If he didn't suffer before he died, let's hope that he's suffering now. I'm just going to say that. There's a special for, place in hell. Yes, for people like that. Absolutely. You know, like I said, I hate putting that out there because I hate listening to someone do that to innocent children, innocent women, innocent or not. It I was about to say matter. anybody. I don't care if yeah. they're innocent or not. Anybody. Yes. That's it's just, just horrible. Yeah. That's enough about him. I can't be nice. So I'm not going to say anything else. Yeah, mom. <laughs> yeah. You can't be nice. Don't say anything at all. Yeah. All right. I'll just turn it off now. Goodbye. I'm just kidding. Okay. Then we get to the point where um, Colleen has decided that she is going to do ancestry DNA. She's doing it because she's thinking that Morgan... Uh, is an adult now and that she doesn't know who she is and she's hoping that you know she's done a DNA test thing and hopefully it'll find a match now I personally have done this um, the ancestry DNA yeah you have I did I did because I'm in search of a sibling that I did not know that I had yeah yeah I found that out when I was going to go do uh, the clinical trial for to get rid of the cancer. Yeah, they were looking at doing... A stem cell transplant. Yes, and you had two exact matches. Yes. I, in fact, have... There's five of us. Hey, me I too. Have, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there's five of y'all, too. Um, I have two younger brothers, two older brothers. Well, we tested three of them because I refused to get the oldest brother uh, tested. He was mentally retarded. He's deceased now. He was mentally retarded, and I did not want to put him through that. So the other three brothers, they tested, and 
They also, just in the case that none of them were close enough of a match, because you're not guaranteed that your sibling's going to be 100% match. And one in four should match, you know, if you all have the same parents. One in four is supposed to be a 100% match, but it's it's crazy. The whole DNA thing is just really crazy, you know, because I had one that matched at 25%, one that matched at 55%, and I'm like, how in the heck does this happen? Because you're all full-blooded siblings. Right, but it but depends it's crazy. on the traits that you take. Right. So they put my DNA out on this DNA registry to see if they could find a perfect stranger that would match closer than 50% if none of mine matched at a 100%. So we're in there, we're talking to the transplant specialist and she looks at me and she says, do you have a brother that you don't know about? <laughs> I'm like, what? How would I know if I had a brother I don't know about? She was like, let me put this another way. Is there a chance that you have a sibling out there that you really don't know about? And I was like, no. If his last name isn't this, then um, no, I don't think I have one out there. I was like, why are you asking? And I asked her if he had my maiden name, and she was like, no, said, the reason I'm telling you this is you have a 100% match that's a perfect stranger to you. And it's completely impossible unless he is a full-blooded sibling. Correct. And that's what she was telling me. I, I All I know about this person is he was in Missouri. I do not know how old he is. I do not know when he was born. All I know is he is a 100% match to me, DNA-wise, and uh, his last name was not my maiden name. And it's a male. Listen, and guy. In, in Missouri. Yeah. If you're out there and you're listening, I need you to take some Ancestry DNA so we can find you. Yeah. But that's what I was doing <laughs> Just with a that. little nugget. Yeah. Um, I was trying to see if I could find my missing brother. I do know that the sibling lives in Missouri, and it's it's a male sibling, but that's all I know. They were not allowed to actually tell me anything because he donated that uh, anonymously. And I don't know why he was on the DNA registry um, for a donor. I don't know if he was a, supposed to be a donor or maybe a recipient, but I'm on the DNA registry. Are you on the DNA registry? Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. But anyway, when I got my DNA results back, one of my brothers was on there, which he had done his a few years ahead of me. My son was on there, which I knew that was going to happen because he told me that he'd done it. And my uncle Jerry, who has since passed away, was on there. And then I've got like a bazillion fourth cousins, it seems like. But no sibling that I didn't actually, you know, didn't know. Yet. Yet. So, but I, Colleen, I feel Colleen, you know, I feel the reason she does this. And she's very apprehensive about this. And I, and I understand that because I was apprehensive about it, too. And just so you know, I did ask my parents about it, and they stonewalled me bad. They gaslit you is what they did. Yeah, they took it to their grave. Both of them did. Did not answer me. In fact, my mother looked furious at the fact that I knew about it. Okay, so that tells me 
that something was going on there. But anyway, we get back to Colleen and God love her. I mean, just God love her. She gets the results back and it is taking everything in her to even click that button. You know, she is so apprehensive about it and she's kind of tormenting herself about it saying, you know, I know that this is probably not going to be anything. Right. She says, I know this, but it's so hard to get that answer for fact and mills around a little bit and then she finally she hits that button and she starts reading the results and she comes out and says it there's zero starred matches which would be your children and there are no other matches other than the 1000 fourth cousins and closer that she is possibly related to she's heartbroken she starts crying of course which breaks my heart because i'm empathetic and i could feel her pain and she of course to, it was yes. hard enough that she asks the filmmakers to stop recording she right. says can we stop and they do that was very tough yeah but you know you've got to give it to colleen because you know she was asking the investigators and stuff like should, should i should even I... do this and, and they said like, why didn't we do this sooner yeah They're like, yes, yes. Why didn't we do this years ago? She is doing everything humanly possible. She is not leaving a stone unturned. Right. And no matter the grief that it gives her when it comes back. Right. And I just, I wished I could have been there just to give her the biggest hug, you know. Gosh, me too. Because that was just heart-wrenching for me, for her. You know, because you're, you're sitting there and you're just like, just open it, just open it. I want to hear it. I, I want to know what it says. I want there to be a star. I want you to find this child. And nothing. And I know the heartache because I did the same thing. But I'm not missing a child. I'm missing a sibling. Yeah. And for me, guys, you know, that's hard. It's hard knowing I have a sibling out there. We kind of speculated as to what might have happened. You know, but we also, just so you know, I I did, my younger brother was a 100% match to me. So I have this perfect stranger that's 100% and then my younger brother, 100%. So we're thinking one of us, yeah, one of us is a twin. Like either it's me or it's my brother. One of us has to be a twin in order for that perfect stranger to be a 100% match. And, and I did. I asked the transplant lady. I was like, how is that possible that I have a 100% match? And she said, it's not. This is your sibling. Now, can you imagine, you know, I'm sick as a dog, fixing to do a clinical trial. And she's telling me I have a sibling out there that I don't know about. I'm in St. Louis, six and a half hours away from home. And the only thing I could think to do is... Stay focused, get well. On your health. Yes, and then try to find this person. It took me a while when I got home to get up the strength to go and confront my parents about it. And, uh, you know, this is the first I've spoke of it, you know, to someone other than my family, you know, which Brandy knows, but Brandy's like my daughter. Yeah, Brandy's family. But she's a good friend. She really is. It's heartbreaking. And I can only imagine Colleen's heart is broken in a million pieces, hoping, you know, you hope 
I'm grateful that I don't have to imagine. And yeah, I am too. But I mean, I in real in all reality, I can't. But I I wished I could have just been there to give her a hug. I really could have. I, I hated that for her. But you know, I'm so thankful that she even thought about that because I, I never I never would have lent thought to that. Never would have thought about it. I mean, this woman is thinking so far outside of the box to bring her child She's back. looking at every realm of possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. And God love her for it. I mean, I'm thankful that she did come up with it. I'm just so sorry that she didn't find anything other than a thousand fourth cousins. And who doesn't need more fourth cousins in their life? And she <laughs> confirmed that uh, she is Irish. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Which she knew that. So we learn that FBI agent Rob Allen has been reassigned to the case. Um, he is looking for a new perspective that may not have been realized before. So we get back to uh, Chief Pointer, and Colleen is not the only one that's thinking outside of the box. Chief Pointer has contacted um, the law enforcement agents down in Texas to see about getting some cadaver dogs. Uh, and... and not just cadaver dogs, but these are specific historical cadaver dogs, like hundreds of hundreds of years old, that these dogs are trained to search for bones. Right. They're specialized in, you know, the amount of retrieval, you know, um, what, how old did he, like 275 years, something like that? Yeah. That's amazing. Absolutely. That's amazing that this dog can sniff that out. I get these dogs up here, and they are searching um, location seven. Yes, one, one of the team goes to location seven um, with Detective Hartley and Special Agent Reuben Gay, and that's the location that we don't actually know the physical presence. It's still Correct. protected. Yes, they they're not wanting to give up any information about location right. seven, but they they are saying that. Location 7 is the last time that Morgan was... Um, Suspected of seeing a lot. Being seen, yeah. They have one team, Location 7. The other team is searching property that belonged to the formerly piece of crap that we're yeah. not going to discuss. To the anymore. garbage. Yeah, to you, the garbage. We're not mentioning its name again. Right. Because he doesn't deserve that. No. And that team... Took out three different dogs at three different times, and they all three hit in the same places. Right. And that was on the property. Yeah, that was on. And now, mind you, they're not just looking for Morgan. They're looking for um, The other three missing women. Right. Those three missing women are Dora Dot And Lori Merchinson. Uh, while they were out at the property, the investigators brought out digging equipment. Correct. And they were to looking excavate. at those locations where the dogs had hit. Right. And uh, Chief Pointer is, uh, at this point, he's thinking the dogs are full of baloney. He didn't actually say that. He said something worse, but uh, I'll I'll refrain from that. He's He's upset because... Area 7, they ran two different dogs. Okay, they ran one dog, and she hit 
at this drainage, yeah, like drainage pipe or something. But they said that, you know, it was just her sniffing things out. Well, they brought the other one in uh, separately and he hit in the same spot, but she's thinking it's just because there's a lot of odors that build up there. And that's the reason they're hitting in that spot. But they hit nowhere else on Area 7 at all. There were three dogs on the property. And the three dogs on separate occasions. And they made notes of where these dogs were hitting. Little flag markers on the tree. Right. So this is, you know, they get equipment out there to dig and see if they can find anything. And, of course, he was getting very frustrated. He said all that they're digging up is rock beds. And they were just trying to see if anything turned up. And so far, they hadn't. (laughs) He said it's disheartening and frustrating. All that they wanted to do was to make a recovery and give somebody peace of mind. And it just hadn't happened yet. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel for him. I feel for all of them because it's got to be just heart wrenching for them. You know, especially Colleen doesn't have her child yet. They're doing everything that they can, you know, putting fresh eyes on it and, you know, trying to, Think outside of the box by bringing in cadaver dogs to search these places, you know, and they're, everybody's doing what they can. We also get Taryn's story, and Taryn is Morgan's little sister, and she said that she was very grateful that her mom sheltered her with the way that she explained Morgan going missing when she was a child. I mean, my God, could you imagine having a... Tell the siblings, I mean... I can't imagine... Colleen, God bless you, and God bless you for everything that you've done. She is amazing. And she is incredibly strong and resilient, I'll tell you that. The way that she explained to her child that her other child was missing, even as she grew up, was, you know, another family was looking for a little girl, and they took Morgan so that they could be happy... And they needed Morgan. And Taryn grows up with that as the story. And it's not until she's in her teen years when she realizes what the abuse is that most kidnapped children go through. Was abducted, but they had found. Yes. And um, how many years later? 18. 18 years later. Yeah. She was talking about that. And how you just don't think about things like that, but... That goes back to what they were saying. When an abducted child is found, you don't know what kind of condition the child is going to be in. Right. Because What the consequences will be. Right. Um, It was J.C. Dugard that was recovered after 18 years. But Taryn. Taryn, she saw all of her friends that grew up with the sister relationships. And she always craved that. And she could have had that. And she was very hurt and sad that she didn't get that with Morgan. And she was talking about the the home videos, watching them. and a lot of home videos. And she said, it just looks like Morgan loved me so much. Yeah. And that's what sucks. That sucks just as bad as not knowing. Yeah. Because that was taken from her. Her future with her sister was taken from her. 
as much as a daughter-mother relationship with Colleen, a daughter-father relationship with John, you know, with her other siblings. That was taken from them. And it has still away from them. Yeah. Colleen had mentioned that sometimes the grief just takes her to her knees. And she said, if I'm not still fighting, I know eventually no one else will either. Right. She will never, ever give up. Well, and that's the thing. She, she, that's what she said. If she stops fighting, then everyone else will too. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's how a missing child gets found because the child remains alive yes. because people are still looking. Of relentless parents. Right. They do this beautiful balloon release for Morgan as well. And I tell you, I bawled my eyes out watching it. And the thing about it is, it's so cool. It's so cool what they were doing. I guess it's like... A little postcard? Yeah, that's got like Morgan's picture on it. And the date she was taken, how old she would be now. And uh, contact information. And it's all tied to this balloon. And uh, it's the coolest thing. I mean, it's sad, but it's it's cool that they're sending that out there. And, you know, you think, where's that going to land? Yeah. And here's the thing. I always, I, I don't believe in fate so much as God's will. And what if that lands in someone's backyard that doesn't have social media, that doesn't, you know, that moved you know, around the time that, you know, they don't know anybody from this area or didn't know anyone from this area, but then has since heard about it. I mean, you know, what if that lands in someone's backyard that knows something? Right. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's it's amazing that, see, they even had the forethought to think to do something like that. Yeah. What blows my mind me. is I was talking to one of my underwriters the other day and I was like, Hey, Corey, you're from Arkansas. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're covering Morgan Nick right now because Corey's picking out what we're doing next. Oh, uh, okay. Plus his heart, I've already picked something. But then after that, he, it's his pick. Okay. <laughs> um, Sorry, Corey, there's your heads up. But uh, I was asking him, you know, have you heard of Morgan Nick? I said, that's who we're covering right now. I said, I just want to raise as much awareness as possible. He said, no, no, I've never heard of her. And I said, have oh. you... Have you always been from that area? And he said, yeah, I've always lived here. Oh, He's see, two hours away from the Ozark Alma area, two hours away, and, and has never it. heard of her. And he's 25 years old. This case is two years older than her, and he has never heard of her. And not only did that piss me off that that hasn't had enough coverage, but it broke my heart at the same time because... Think of all the people that he's had contact with. I mean, it's just, it's a ripple effect. Right. So now Corey knows about Morgan and Corey can share that. See, that's what I was talking about. What if that's released in someone's backyard that knows something that they didn't actually thought think that they knew? Corey didn't know who Morgan Nick was. And that, that to me, that just blows me away. But that's where I'm getting at. I'm like... There wasn't much media coverage. And then, you know, the coverage that they did do, how many people got to see it? Right. You know what I'm saying? I, I've said it once. I've said it a hundred times. It's the times that we were living in. The time is so much different now. Right. I urge you. I know I said it last episode. I don't care. I will continue to say it throughout every episode. 
watch this docu-series. Yes. Watch it. Share it. Share the podcast. I, I don't care how you're sharing the information. Share the information. And watch it. Learn. Right. And we come down to a very good point. And, you know, guys, I really hate this because Morgan was our backyard. Yeah, Definitely right. our backyard. And it scared me plumb to death because, you, you know, I was pregnant with you when this happened. But Jacob's story broke my heart because, you know, that was up in Minnesota. And, you know, we didn't have coverage. I knew nothing about that until I watched this, this docuseries. Right. And it broke my heart because I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, there's another. I have another... the Minnesotan accent and you have the Yang the Southern accent. Yeah. It's so funny. Listen, listen, she gets that from my mother. <laughs> my mother was Minnesotan, don't you know? It's so funny. Yeah, but uh, anyway, I wanted to make a point that here's two children now that we know of that was abducted, okay? Will they be found? I hope to God they are found, you know, but... I can answer the question on Jacob, yes. Yes, Jacob was found. I, I do know that for a fact because I did start episode three. But here's the point. Back then, it took a village to raise an idiot. Yeah. Okay. And I, I know that's kind of corny to say. But basically what it is is the the adults would watch out for the kids. You know, I didn't have a curfew when I was young. You know, we walked up and down the road, didn't have to worry about stuff like that. But that's the time I grew up in. That ain't these times. You can't do that now, okay? But we have to do better as a society and start Look looking. out for one another. Yeah. Look out for everyone's kids. Yeah. You know, that mom that's grocery shopping with a couple of kids and, and one of the kids wander off. You know, help that mom. Get a hold of that child. Take them back to their parent. It, things happen in the blink of an eye. I mean, how many videos have you seen on TikTok or whatever about some child being in a basket and somebody just ripping them out of the basket and oh, taking God, off with them? Oh, God, all the time. There was yeah. one that happened in Tulsa, what, two weeks ago? I don't consider that being nosy. I consider that being, you know, diligent about trying to keep stuff from happening like that well i've had enough happen in my life that i carry a tool with me everywhere i go yeah yeah a very very heavily loaded tool yeah me too <laughs> yes the episode ends with patty and colleen and patty is saying again that they're hoping to change the world and how communities get educated and law enforcement knows how to respond to a missing child, that perpetrators get the jail sentences that will prevent them from getting out and hurting someone again. Yes. And I think the, that's the most tragic thing of all. Yeah, absolutely. Is that a criminal that has that type of sentence gets let out to commit the crime again. Yeah, it should not happen. Ever. No. We have to do better at protecting the children and protecting one another. We have to. Yeah. It's and just... The, the last... world we live in is just... Crazy? No. It's just sick. It is absolutely. It's a sick world. And the sad thing about it is, guys, 
that is, it's out there now. I mean, it's prevalent. I mean, it's, it's in your face. You're hearing it all the time. Back when I was a child, you didn't hear stuff like that. The last thing that shows is news from Minnesota. It's heartbreaking news. They are saying that they may know and have heard from the man himself what happened to Jacob Wetterling. Yeah, so that'll be next some episode. Of the, some of the coverage for episode three. Guys, we don't mean to be downers, um, but this is a very serious topic. It's a topic that's really close to my heart. Yeah. And again, it's really close to home. And and not not taking anything from Morgan in in all truth that that's what this is about. But there are other missing children. And, and if you have any information whatsoever on a case of a missing person, I don't care if it's a child. I especially care if it's a child or an adult. Give it over to law enforcement. Right. You can give it anonymously if you need to. But if you have the information, share the information. Don't gatekeep. Don't try to protect yourself. That person deserves to come home just as much as the next. Right. Just as much as Morgan does. But, and then too, don't think that what you know is irrelevant because even the slightest little thing could make a mountain out of a mohill. It, it really can. Right. You know. No tip is too small. And um, with that being said, you know, just watch out for everybody. And be safe. Yes, definitely be safe. But we appreciate you for listening to today's episode. Yeah, and if you do uh, want to give up some information, you can do that on this podcast as well. I'm sure Jericho will do her due diligence to give it over to the proper authorities. Yeah, absolutely. You can message me. Um, we are on Facebook at Crime and Company, and it has Jerrica and Rick uh, beside it. You can tweet us. You can send me a DM on Instagram. We are on all the things. But I will absolutely keep you 100% anonymous if that's what you want. It, and I, you can do so because of this. Yeah, confidentiality. Yeah. I'm all for it. I just want to bring home everyone. Yeah. I might get brave enough to tell you a guy's a story next week. Stay in store for that. Well, I was brave enough to put my story out there. So you think I should? I think you should. I might. Yeah. Because it does hit closer to home than what you know. So, so there's a lot of semblances here. Yeah. Yeah. Same. There's a reason why it's close to our hearts. Yep. But we love you. And thank you so much for listening. And putting up with my accent. <laughs> <laughs>